This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Man Alive by G. K. Chesterton. Section 6. Part 1. The Enigmas of Innocent Smith. Chapter 2. The Banner of Beacon. Part 2. "'What a mistake that is!' cried Innocent Smith, leaping up in great excitement. "'All is gold that glitters, especially now we are a sovereign state. "'What's the good of a sovereign state if you can't define a sovereign? "'We can make anything precious metal, as men could in the morning of the world. "'They didn't choose gold because it was rare. "'Your scientists can tell you twenty sorts of slime much rarer. "'They choose gold because it was bright, because it was a hard thing to find.' but pretty when you found it. You can't fight with golden swords or eat golden biscuits. You can only look at it, and you can look out here. With one of his incalculable motions he sprang back, and burst open the doors into the garden. At the same time also, with one of his gestures that never seemed at the instant so unconventional as they were, he stretched out his hand to Mary Gray, and led her out on through the lawn, as if for a dance. The French windows, thus flung open, let in an evening even lovelier than that of the day before. The west was swimming with sanguine colours, and a sort of sleepy flame lay upon the lawn. The twisted shadows of one or two garden trees showed upon this sheen, not grey or black as in common daylight, but like arabesques written in vivid violet ink on some page of eastern gold. The sunset was one of those festive and yet mysterious conflagrations in which common things, by their colours, remind us of costly or curious things. The slates upon the sloping roof burned like the plumes of a vast peacock, in every mysterious blend of blue and green. The red-brown bricks of the wall glowed with all the October tints of strong ruby and tawny wines. The sun seemed to set each object alight with a different coloured flame, like a man lighting fireworks, and even innocent's hair, which was of a rather colourless fairness, seemed to have a flame of pagan gold on it, as he strode across the lawn towards the one tall ridge of rockery. What would be the good of gold, he was saying, if it did not glitter? Why should we care for a black sovereign any more than for a black sun at noon? A black button would do just as well. Don't you see that everything in this garden looks like a jewel? And will you kindly tell me what the deuce is the good of a jewel, except that it looks like a jewel? Leave off buying and selling, and start looking. Open your eyes, and you'll wake up to the new Jerusalem. All is gold that glitters, tree and tower of brass, rolls the golden evening air down the golden grass. Kick the cry to Jericho, how yellow mud is sold. All is gold that glitters, for the glitter is the gold. And who wrote that? asked Rosamond, amused. No one will ever write it, answered Smith, and cleared the rockery with a flying leap. Really, said Rosamond to Michael Moon, he ought to be sent to an asylum, don't you think so? I beg your pardon, inquired Michael, rather somberly. His long swarthy head was dark against the sunset, and either by accident or mood he had the look of something isolated and even hostile amid the social extravagance of the garden. I only said Mr. Smith ought to go to an asylum, repeated the lady. The lean face seemed to grow longer and longer, for Moon was unmistakably sneering. 
No, he said, I don't think it's at all necessary. What do you mean? asked Rosamund quickly. Why not? Because he is in one now, answered Michael Moon in a quiet but ugly voice. Why, didn't you know? What? cried the girl, and there was a break in her voice, for the Irishman's face and voice were really almost creepy. With his dark figure and dark sayings in all that sunshine, he looked like the devil in paradise. I'm sorry, he continued with a sort of harsh humility. Of course, we don't talk about it much, but I thought we all really knew. Knew what? Well, answered Moon, that Beacon House is a certain rather singular sort of house. A house with loose tiles, shall we say? Innocent Smith is only the doctor that visits us. Hadn't you come when he called before? As our maladies are melancholic. Of course he has to be extra cheery. Sanity, of course, seems very bumptious, eccentric thing to us. Jumping over a wall, climbing a tree. That's his bedside manner. You daren't say such a thing, cried Rosamond in a rage. You daren't suggest that I... Not more than I am, said Michael soothingly. Not more than the rest of us. Haven't you ever noticed that Miss Duke never sits still? A notorious sign. Haven't you ever observed that Inglewood is always washing his hands? A known mark of mental disease. I, of course, am a dipsomaniac. I don't believe you, broke out his companion, not without agitation. I've heard you had some bad habits. All habits are bad habits, said Michael, with deadly calm. Madness does not come by breaking out, but by giving in, by settling down in some dirty little self-repeating circle of ideas, by being tamed. You went mad about money, because you're an heiress. It's a lie, cried Rosamond furiously. I never was mean about money. You were worse, said Michael, in a low voice, and yet violently. You thought that other people were. You thought every man who came near you must be a fortune hunter. You would not let yourself go and be sane, and now you're mad, and I'm mad, and serve us right. You brute, said Rosamond, quite white. And is this true? With the intellectual cruelty of which the Celt is capable when his abysses are in revolt, Michael was silent for some seconds, and then stepped back with an ironical bow. Not literally true, of course, he said, only really true. An allegory, shall we say, a social satire and i hate and despise your satires cried rosamond hunt letting loose her whole forcible female personality like a cyclone and speaking every word to wound i despise it as i despise your rank tobacco and your nasty loungy ways and your snarling and your radicalism and your old clothes and your potty little newspaper and your rotten failure at everything i don't care whether you call it snobbishness or not i like life and success and jolly things to look at, and action. You won't frighten me with Diogenes. I prefer Alexander. Victrix cause dare, said Michael gloomily, and this angered her more, as not knowing what it meant, she imagined it to be witty. Oh, I dare say you know Greek, she said with cheerful inaccuracy. You haven't done much with that either. And she crossed the garden, pursuing the vanished innocent and a merry. In doing so, she passed Inglewood, who was returning to the house slowly and with a thought-clouded brow. He was one of those men who are quite clever, but quite the reverse of quick. As he came back out of the sunset garden into the twilight parlour, 
Diana Duke slipped swiftly to her feet and began putting away the tea-things. But it was not before Inglewood had seen an instantaneous picture so unique that he might well have snapshotted it with his everlasting camera. For Diana had been sitting in front of her unfinished work with her chin on her hand, looking straight out the window in pure thoughtless thought. "'You are busy,' said Arthur, oddly embarrassed with what he had seen and wishing to ignore it. "'There's no time for dreaming in this world,' answered the young lady with her back to him. "'I have been thinking lately,' said Inglewood in a low voice, "'that there's no time for waking up.' She did not reply, and he walked to the window and looked out on the garden. "'I don't smoke or drink, you know,' he said irrelevantly, "'because I think they're drugs. "'And yet I fancy all hobbies, like my camera and bicycle, are drugs too. "'Getting under a black hood, getting into a dark room, getting into a hole, anyhow. "'Drugging myself with speed and sunshine and fatigue and fresh air. "'Peddling the machine so fast that I turn into a machine myself. "'That's the matter with all of us. "'We're too busy to wake up.' "'Well,' said the girl solemnly, "'what is there to wake up to?' "'There must be,' cried Inglewood, turning round in singular excitement, "'there must be something to wake up to. "'All we do is preparations, your cleanliness and my healthiness and Warner scientific appliances. "'We're always preparing for something, something that never comes off. "'I ventilate the house and you sweep the house, but what is going to happen in the house?' She was looking at him quietly, but with very bright eyes, and seemed searching for some form of words which she could not find. Before she could speak, the door burst open, and the boisterous Rosamond Hunt, in her flamboyant white hat, boa and parasol, stood framed in the doorway. She was in a breathing heat, and on her open face was an expression of the most infantile astonishment. "'Well, here's a fine game,' she said, panting. "'What am I to do now, I wonder?' "'I've wired for Dr. Warner. That's all I can think of doing.' "'What's the matter?' asked Diana, rather sharply, but moving forward like one used to be called upon for assistance. "'It's Mary,' said the heiress. "'My companion, Mary Gray. That cracked friend of yours, called Smith, has proposed to her in the garden after ten hours' acquaintance, and he wants to go off with her now for a special license.' Arthur Inglewood walked to the open French windows and looked out on the garden, still golden with evening light. Nothing moved there but a bird or two, hopping and twittering. But beyond the hedge and railings, in the road outside the garden gate, a handsome cab was waiting, with the yellow gladstone bag on top of it. The End of Chapter 3